It was a remarkable season for your Ohio State Buckeyes as we continue to preview the Buckeyes and Clemson coming up December 28th, Fiesta Bowl in the greater Phoenix, Arizona area. We will do a little bit of reflecting as we look back at the Ohio State 2019 season. What went right for the Buckeyes to be such a dominant force, a juggernaut in college football, one that I think has a better than good chance of beating Clemson and possibly going on to win a national title. Plenty of time for that, but today we'll reflect back on the bright moments and the bright spots for Ohio State offensively and defensively. Also, a little bit of playoff talk. It comes up this time of year, every year, what we could do better to potentially improve the sport. I know some of you aren't on board with playoff expansion, but another scenario came out on Wednesday. We debated it. I'll talk more about why I think playoffs should come. I know you disagree with me, but hey, it's fun to talk about it anyway. All coming up on Locked on Buckeyes, your daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast. Catch us on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or simply say, play Locked on Buckeyes on your smart speakers. Locked on Buckeyes podcast is brought to you by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by a Buckeye. Licensed in 33 states and more on the way. Check them out at jfqlending.com. I like to reflect a little bit today on the Ohio State 2019 football season. It's been kind of an unexpected ride. I don't think anybody expected Ohio State would be this good. Certainly you... Some of you saw Ohio State making the playoff, had those expectations, or at least hoped that it would wind up that way. But I don't think anybody saw a 13-0 season, especially the kind where Ohio State looked this dominant in stretches. Uh, before I get too far uh, or too knee-deep in that muck, uh, there are a couple coaching uh, tidbits to hear that I want to talk about that pertain to Ohio State. First and foremost, you may have seen Colorado State hired its new football coach, Steve Adazio, former Boston College head coach, which is interesting because that creates a void for another guy we'll talk about here in a second, and Jeff Halfley. But with Adazio going to Colorado State, that's a good thing for Ohio State because it had been rumored, and a lot of people really strongly believed that Kevin Wilson would wind up getting that Colorado State job. Interestingly enough, there was a scenario where Kevin Wilson goes to Colorado State and Adazio fills in as run game coordinator and helping with the tight ends and offensive line at Ohio State. But obviously with Adazio filling that role at Colorado State, that keeps, at least for the time being, Kevin Wilson in Columbus as co-offensive coordinator and run game coordinator as well. So that that's all good for Ohio State. I think it's especially good when you look at next season and Ohio State having the the potential to keep that entire offensive staff intact because with Justin Wilson and those receivers and we just got word that CJ Saunders is applying for a sixth season on top of having Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Chris Olave, uh, Jalen Gill. There is so much talent coming in and then you add in those receivers, Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, who has just been incredible his senior season, Mookie Cooper. 
uh, the list goes on and on the next several years of guys that are going to be coming into Ohio State and and I think being legit stars. But with Master Teague at running back, Marcus Crowley stepping up potentially as a backup and and playing meaningful snaps, Justin Fields, of course, being back at quarterback, still a little bit too early to say what the offensive line will be like. We don't know what's going to go on with Wyatt Davis, Thayer Munford. There are some guys we just don't know how that's going to play out on the line. But to have Wilson back into the fold, that offense could be really, really good next year. So Kevin Wilson, for the time being, looks like he'll be staying at Ohio State unless another job pops up. On the other side of the ball, I mentioned the Halfley rumors and BC. It was reported he was going to be interviewing last week. I believe by now he has had conversations with Boston College. To my knowledge, it does not seem as if Halfley is going to take the Boston College job, even if he were offered. I believe he's leaning at staying at Ohio State, and this is, can only be construed as good news for the Buckeyes for many, many reasons. But first and foremost, Ohio State will be replacing the entire starting secondary next year. I think we have a really good idea. Jeffrey Okuda is probably going pro. We know Damon Arnett will be going pro. Jordan Fuller will obviously be gone. And there's a pretty good possibility Sean Wade is going to be gone as well. So Ohio State will be replacing its entire starting secondary. And with the job Halfley has done this season, it would be great if the Buckeyes could get a couple more seasons out of him, especially with that young defense they're going to be having next year. I assume Al Washington will be back. We don't know for sure. Uh, Greg Madison... Seems like a pretty good bet to finish his career out with Ohio State. Larry Johnson probably finishing his career out with Ohio State. To For me, on paper, this Ohio State team next year is going to be as good as the defense because they're going to be counting on a lot of new guys. They're replacing Chase Young, Malik Harrison. I mentioned the secondary. A lot of new faces in a lot of new places next year on the Ohio State defense, but They'll be talented, just very young, very inexperienced. You never know with wholesale changes coming how a defense is going to react. So next year, early in the year especially, they're going to be relying on that offense. But it appears for the time being, at this moment, and things can change in a hurry in these coaching situations, that the entire Ohio State staff could be intact coming back next year. So that would be a huge plus for Ohio State. Now, looking at what happened over the course of this year. The biggest question coming into the season was certainly Justin Fields. I got to say, I, I don't want to say I'm surprised. I actually don't want to say I'm surprised by the way Fields played this year, but I certainly expected a more up and down roller coaster at times tumultuous debut by Fields. We all knew he was talented. I was, I was one of the people saying back in the spring, hey, don't read anything into his spring game performance because I don't think that tells us anything. But that being said, I did expect a more erratic version of Justin Fields. If you had told me coming into the year that Fields would have one interception through 13 games, including the regular season and the Big Ten title game, I would have thought you were crazy. If you had told me he would have 50 total touchdowns, I'm not sure I would have believed that either. I could have believed the 50 touchdowns a little bit more over the one interception. The 50 touchdowns, I'd be like, all right, because of his athletic ability, his running ability, 
being able to potentially be a really good zone read quarterback, I could have believed the 50 touchdowns a little bit easier. But one interception, I would have thought you were crazy. In my conservative expectations coming into the year, I thought maybe 3,000 yards passing, uh, four or 500 yards rushing, probably in the neighborhood of 30 yard, or 30 touchdowns, maybe an extra 10 yard or 10 touchdowns on the ground. And then I would have said seven, eight, nine, maybe 10 interceptions. But we wound up seeing 50 total touchdowns, one interception. The yards were about where I expected just because Ohio State was so dominant. They weren't passing in the second half very frequently. But man, it, it was an incredibly good season for Justin Fields. It was great to see J.K. Dobbins bounce back. He had a really up and down year last year. He just wasn't the same guy we saw as a freshman where he was a big play guy. He was hitting holes, running with authority. He didn't do that last year. I, I said all season long, I thought last year he was injured, which may have hurt his explosiveness, his ability to take hits and break tackles. But he wasn't hitting holes either. So it, it, it wasn't just, if there was an injury there, it wasn't just the injury. He just wasn't hitting holes. He was trying to bounce everything. I He just looked like a totally different guy this year. He's running with authority. He's running with meaning and a purpose. And it's great to see. He turned in, as it turns out, one of the greatest single-season rushing, rushing performances we've ever seen at Ohio State at the position. And it shows in the stats because he's got a chance to catch up with Eddie George. He needs 99 yards against Clemson to take over first place for single season. Now, I know I know some of you want to compare, by the way, Dobbins to what Eddie did. I'm not sure that's a fair comparison on either side, to be honest. Eddie George played in fewer games. J.K. Dobbins had fewer carries. And two different eras. Running back then in the 90s is a whole lot different than running today in a spread offense. In a spread offense, it favors the running back a little bit because, you know, like like it suggests, spread offense, you, you spread out the defense. It's harder to focus on a good running back. The yards per carry is higher now than it was 15, 20 years ago. Uh, the yards per play in general is higher now than it was 15, 20 years ago. So I don't know if it's fair to say J.K. Dobbins was better than Eddie. Eddie was better than J.K. Dobbins. Eddie for his time, was really, really good. One of the best, if not the best, running backs in the country. He was deserving of that Heisman Trophy. J.K. Dobbins might be the best running back in the country this year. No offense to Asher Lowe, my guy, lock on Badgers. I know he's big on Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor had a great season. I'm not sure it's fair to say Dobbins is clearly better or Taylor is clearly better. They both had great years. But Dobbins is certainly up there. So, Different era. I don't want to go down the road of saying Dobbins played in fewer, or I'm sorry, Dobbins played in more games than Eddie George, but Dobbins also had fewer carries and had a better yards per carry. It's just, it's really tough to compare the two. They both had great seasons. Bottom line, 99 more yards. Dobbins will be number one all time single season rushing record. Um, So I look at the offensive line now, reflecting on that. Really impressed, obviously, with the run game. It goes the line and Dobbins kind of go hand in hand. Thought they both had excellent seasons. Thayer Munford 
was dominant on the left side of that line. Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, great up uh, up the middle. Thought the the right side of the line run blocking maybe a little weaker than the left. Little up and down, but for the most part, that whole entire line was above average. If you look at the pro football focus grades for run blocking, every single starting lineman for Ohio State graded out well above average. So that was a clear strength. It was good to see that. The first couple games, I had some expectations. Maybe Jeremy Ruckert would blossom into a legit pass-catching tight end this year. Of course, being able to be on the field as a pass catcher for Ohio State is somewhat predicated on being able to block first and foremost, and that's something that Ruckert has to continue to work on to get on the field. Luke Farrell surprised me at times a little bit this year. Ruckert didn't wind up being the consistent threat we saw, but as we saw in the Wisconsin game in the Big Ten Championship, uh, he certainly has the ability. That one-handed catch was a thing of beauty. So maybe a little bit disappointed from the lack of consistency from Ruckert and Farrell, but I do think if he can continue to work as a blocker, he's going to be in there. Wide receivers, you got to love that. We saw a little bit more consistency from Victor. He's still disappeared a little bit at times in the second half of the year, but made some big plays nonetheless. Austin Mack was dependable. KJ Hill dependable. Chris Olave took the step forward. I think we all thought he would. So I would say the wide receiver core, probably about what we all anticipated it would be at the start of the season. We just didn't know if Justin Fields would get them the ball consistently delivering on time and on target. He did all of that. So that's where I stand with the offense. Really, really impressed overall. It wound up being one of the best offenses in the country. But of course, Ohio State's success this season came because of that defense. Whoa, Nelly, did they come out of nowhere. We didn't see that coming last year. Coming up next segment, we'll discuss the defense and look back at what a great season it was. While we're looking back, as we look forward to this Ohio State defense against Clemson, they, I think, have to come up bigger than the offense does. I, I stand behind my assessment. I think Ohio State's run game carries over really well in this matchup against Clemson. I think the smaller Clemson D-line D and the front seven as a whole have not been, they haven't been tested all year long in a very weak ACC. They haven't had to shut down a legit run attack. I think Ohio State's defense is going to surprise people in the way they run the ball. You hope that Justin Fields will be 100% with that MCL and not have to wear the brace against Clemson, which would potentially limit his mobility a little bit, especially if Clemson blitzes him like crazy. You're going to want full mobility against this Clemson defense. That's the one concern I have for Ohio State against Clemson because they blitz a lot. They blitz effectively. They get pressure up front and on the edge, and those are two spots that Ohio State cannot afford that. They haven't been very good up the middle. Josh Myers actually in pass protection, according to PFF grades, has not been very good there. Munford has actually been well below average in pass protection this year. If you go by what PFF has to say, they do grade out every game. I know I don't agree with everything they say or do, 
but I generally trust their judgment because they are watching the games back and they're assessing play by play. So I, I have to put some credence into what they're saying. But Clemson's pass rush, pass rush is going to be, I think, a challenge for Ohio State that's going to be critical for keeping Justin Fields upright. And if he can be mobile and make plays with his feet, then I think in addition to Ohio State running the ball well, the Buckeyes, I believe, will have a surprising amount of success offensively against Clemson. But the defense, I think, is where this is really interesting to see the matchups. I think if you look at what Michigan did with Shea Patterson against Ohio State's zone defense in the first half of that game, that's a little bit interesting because where Wisconsin had success pushing the ball and moving the ball against Ohio State's man defense in the first half, and they got bowled over a little bit and had to go to the zone to stop the bleeding, it was kind of the other other way around against Michigan. The zone defense, especially without Sean Wade, some of those crossing patterns, the flat passes, tight ends, the pop passes, those things were killing Ohio State. And I just wonder how that'll translate if, if Clemson tries to do some of that same short passing attack. The, the shorter three-step drops by Trevor Lawrence, get the ball out quick and let the Clemson receivers take care of business with their athleticism and their playmaking ability. Now look, overall, Ohio State was one of the best tackling teams in the country. Only 6% of their tackles were missed tackles this year. I think that may have gone down 1% or 2% in the last couple games, but they were consistently one of the top five tackling teams all season long. And that's something we did not see last year. That's going back to expectations. That's where this defense was night and day better. And some of that is positioning and them not being asked to do as much pre-snap reads and being out of position. That really affected their ability to tackle last year. But they were one of the best this year. And so what will Clemson do? Will they try to attack them? Do they assume that Lawrence is going to have time to pass and throw the ball downfield? Because I don't think that's going to work against Ohio State if the pass rush does what I think it will do. And Chase Young was every bit as good and probably better than I thought he would be this year. But what really surprised me from preseason expectations is guys like Devon Hamilton and Jayshon Cornell being much better than I thought. And I think the more interesting facet of this pass rush for Ohio State was they missed so many games early on, the first half of the year, with so many defensive ends being hurt. Jonathan Cooper missed a lot of time, obviously only played in four games this season, will be redshirting and returning next year. Tyreek Smith missed a lot of time early. Tyler Friday has missed most of the year. A lot of guys that they hoped or thought would give production at defensive end this year did not get to play. So that makes it even more interesting that they got as as much production in the pass rush as they did for most of the year. So what will Clemson do against that pass rush? Will they acquiesce to not being able to have five and seven-step drops and throwing the ball downfield and try to get it out quick like Michigan did, like Wisconsin did? 
Michigan was able to attack the zone on those short passes. Wisconsin was not. Ironically, Wisconsin was able to attack Ohio State with the slant patterns on the man defense, but against the zone, they had no success. Clemson likes to beat people. They've got those big-time playmaking receivers that can take to the house 80 yards. They can do that and get away with that against the ACC. I don't think they'll be able to get away with it with Ohio State. That'll be an interesting thing to watch coming up on the 28th. Linebackers. What can you say about the linebackers? They were tremendous this year. Really, really like the improvement Malik Harrison. He became a a big-time consistent player for Ohio State last year he flashed you saw you saw him make plays and that was probably the most frustrating thing for Ohio State Ohio State fans is you saw Harrison's ability last year but he just never put it all together consistently he'd make a couple of highlight reel plays tackles hits interceptions sacks you name it, he could do a little bit of everything. But then he would go off in a couple of plays. He'd miss a tackle. He'd be out of position. And that was the mark of the, the entire Buckeyes defense last year. Pete Warner proved himself in a big way. He's not just a great athlete. I still can't believe there are some people even late in the year that were calling Pete Warner slow. I don't know what some of you people are watching. Uh, you know, I'm not accusing any of my listeners of calling him slow. But there's some people out there still calling Pete Warner slow. The dude was a track champion. He's a great athlete, but what's more than a great athlete is, is I knew he was a great athlete last year, but man, that guy is so much tougher and physical and a big time hitter. Take it on blocks with one shoulder. He is a really good player for Ohio State. The linebackers as a whole improved a lot. Even Tough Borland, I know some people were still aren't big fans of Tough. But he played a lot better this year. Everybody elevated their game. Ohio State was one of the best defenses in the country. Sure, they they were a little bit human at times late in the year. I don't want to use Penn State against them because the offense really put the defense in a bad way, in a bad spot against Penn State. But the first half of Michigan, they certainly got tested a little bit. I think the first half of Wisconsin was more just about physical and emotional fatigue. I'm still not sure it was a scheme or personnel issue. I don't think you look at that first half of the Wisconsin Big Ten title game, and I don't think you say, well, this is a concern. This is something Clemson might do. I'm just not sure I see that, but we'll we'll find out. But certainly linebackers, great uh, performance this year all year long. The secondary... What can you say about them? They were the best secondary in the country, bar none. Teams more or less just stopped trying to throw on Jeffrey Okuda. It was a waste of time. They didn't even sh- they didn't try. Teams did tr- throw it on Damon Arnett and Sean Wade because you had to. You have to throw on somebody. And if you're going to do it, I guess those are the lesser of three evils. But they weren't very successful with it. Ohio State simply didn't give up big plays. I think... For the season, they wound up giving up, I think, 12 plays over 30 yards. I'd have to I'd have to look that up. But last year was 30, what, 36 plays over 30 yards or something. The difference this year and last year was night and day. They just simply did not allow teams to run on them. 
couple runs by Jonathan Taylor there in the first half, that, you know, notwithstanding, for the most part, nobody had any success running the ball. It was really incredible to watch. This is the best defensive team in the country. But I do think because of just the the small little runs that Michigan and Wisconsin had in the first halves of those games, I think that is where you need to be on alert with this matchup against Clemson. I think Ohio State's offense is going to score. But if the defense can do what it's been doing most of the year, then Ohio State may win go, going away. I stand behind that. It's, it's not being a homer. It, it's just looking objectively, looking at the... Looking deep at the stats and the analytics, Clemson can be beat. They can be exposed in places that nobody else has been able to because of that schedule. But Ohio State's equipped to do it. Overall, what can you say that the Ohio State defense this year, above and beyond expectations, I think we all expected, certainly most people hoped they would be a lot better. You, you figured they would be improved because they almost had to be. You couldn't be as bad as that Ohio State defense was for as talented as they were. You couldn't be that bad two years in a row. They definitely improved and then some. They took it to another level. Ohio State fans were hoping for a college football playoff contender with a slightly improved defense, and they got a full-blown juggernaut with one of the best defenses in the country. Ohio State Clemson coming up December 28th. In the meantime, should the playoff expand to eight teams or beyond? It's a favorite subject of ours. We like to discuss it, debate it, argue it every single season, like a rite of passage. I'm going to give some thoughts on why I want to see it expanded and why the regular season could benefit from it. Coming up next. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises, if you get what I'm saying. If you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the U.S. of A, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy, and best of all, there's no more awkwardness. Again, that's bluechew.com. Give it a try. Blue Chew is better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring Locked On Buckeyes. I trust by many of your responses on Twitter that many of you saw the college football playoff expansion hypothetical scenario put out by my bookie. It was the 16-team theoretical playoff based on the current college football playoff rankings. And clearly many of you are very passionate about this. As you saw, I am too. We had some spirited debates on Twitter about this. Look, I want to preface my comments by saying I'm actually, I'm in favor of expansion. I do not prefer a 16 team model. 
I think that's a little excessive. I would I would embrace 16 if that's what it went to. It's not going to go to that. But if it went to 16, I would embrace it for the entertainment factor. And that's something I think some of you are overlooking. I prefer eight, and I think that's where we're heading. Headed. I, I posted this about, a, or I, I tweeted about this and talked about this on the podcast about a month ago. Joe Klatt thinks it's absolutely a slam dunk. We are headed for eight. I think that's what's going to happen. I know some of you will protest, but you might as well embrace it now. I'm just warning you because it is coming whether you like it or not. Now, the 16-team thing, that's not happening. It's, it's going to be probably an 18 model, but it is coming sooner or later. Get ready for it. Embrace it. Try to learn to love it because that is what's going to happen, okay? So in the meantime, though, as far as the 16-team model, I'm not crazy about that. I'd re- I prefer eight. But here's what I think people need to think about. I think college football's regular season. I love college football. I love the sport. I love watching college football games, especially good games between quality opponents. But I think college football right now has a regular season problem. I know some of you will say, but it's it's every game is meaningful. Well, that is absolutely a falsehood. Every game is meaningful up until if you are a power five team until you lose your second game. If you're a G5 game, no games are meaningful, truly, as far as a playoff is concerned, because you have no shot. You can go undefeated. If Memphis had gone undefeated this year, they weren't making the playoff. That's just a fact of life. So you already eliminate all the group of five conferences and teams, okay? They're out before the season even begins. You eliminate all the games played against FCS because, let's face it, FCS team might knock off a non-ranked power five team occasionally but they're not knocking off anybody that has a chance at a playoff so every game played against fcs team is not meaningful then you've got power five games okay those are meaningful to anyone that hasn't had more than a single loss but once you've lost a second game you're eliminated everything else not meaningful i looked this up and in 2019 this season under that formula 19% of all games had some impact potentially on the college football playoff, meaning that if a team lost or won, they could either keep alive for the college football playoff or they were eliminated. So 19% out of 847 games actually had some impact using that criteria. I look at this like this. There are some sports that certainly have too many teams making a playoff. I think college football has too few. Some of you will look at this and say, because every game is a playoff, you have to keep winning. That makes it exciting. That makes it meaningful. But the problem is September in college football is a snooze fest. We all agree there aren't that many good games. Nobody has has argued otherwise. It's terrible. If you look at the 1970s and 1980s, there used to be every single game for major conference teams were against other major conference teams. It was exciting. Not that I can remember. I wasn't old enough to remember this, but just looking at the schedule, that would have been so exciting to see every game being played against a power conference opponent. That would be awesome. College football, the first five weeks of the season is a bore. Not that it's boring watching football, but 
Are you really getting excited for Ohio State playing FAU? I know you're excited about the season beginning for Ohio State. You want to see the Buckeyes games. But let's be honest. You go into these games knowing Ohio State's going to be blowing the other team out by the second quarter. It's not a meaningful game. There's just no excitement behind that other than it's Buckeye football for you. As a college football fan, you don't plan your day most don't anyway. There are some free, super freak college football fans that do, but you don't plan your day around Michigan Air Force, Michigan Middle Tennessee, Tennessee Georgia uh, Georgia State, who beat Tennessee this year. That was unexpected. That was fun. You get that once in a while. That's kind of a Cinderella moment. You like that, but that doesn't happen very often. It's college football needs to be spruced up. And the problem is a four team playoff is not helping do that. It's not important. Most games in November aren't important. There's only 14% by the criteria I mentioned, 14% of games in November that actually have a relevant relevance to the college football playoff. So games aren't really that important. You could go the opposite direction. I think 16, maybe taking it too far, but eight teams would really, really help college football because you make more games meaningful. You get a second loss, which I think is important because not all losses are created equal. Not all schedules are created equal. There simply is too much subjectivity in scheduling and strength of schedule to be saying, well, you lost, so you should be out. That shouldn't be what the regular season is about because it's not a balanced schedule. It's not anything close to balanced. So I don't want a group of 13 people that may or may not have Southern bias getting in a room and subjectively and arbitrarily deciding, well, you have a second loss that disqualifies you. Even though you may not have had the second loss if you played another team's schedule, I just don't like the subjectivity. So I want to go to eight. I want to reward conference champions. That means every single conference championship is important. It wasn't important this year. Ohio State, Wisconsin had no bearing on the college football playoff. If Ohio State lost, they were still in. If Wisconsin won, they weren't getting in. Clemson, Virginia had no bearing on the college football playoff this year. If Clemson lost, they were still getting in. If Virginia won, they weren't getting in. As it turns out, Utah, if they had beat Oregon, may or may not have gotten in. We don't know for sure. Oregon definitely did not get in by beating Utah. So that game didn't wind up being very important. If Georgia had beat LSU, Georgia would have gotten in. LSU would have too, so it didn't matter for LSU. But the irony is if Georgia beats LSU, then both the Big 12 and Pac-12 games also would not have mattered no matter what. We're in a situation where we need to reward conference champions because it takes away some of the subjectivity and it makes every single conference race important, which makes more games important in November. And by doing that, you incentivize teams to schedule a little bit better. And by scheduling better, you make college football better and more entertaining. And that is why college football is a Debbie Downer, a snooze fest early in the year. I think going to eight not only makes more games matter, but it potentially adds to the scheduling issue. College basketball, you guys, some of you mentioned this to me. 
you mentioned college basketball doesn't have a very meaningful regular season. I'm not arguing against that. That's a fair point. As a college basketball fan, I would say that is correct for the most part. I do think college basketball is kind of swallowing their own their own young a little bit by starting the season as early as they do because the last or the first two months of college basketball is going up against college football. I think if they moved the season back to late December, having all the exempt tournaments and some of the neutral court showcases start in late December and then have college basketball season start as a whole in early January by moving the season back. I know you'd have May madness instead of March madness, but I think that would be a lot better for the sport because those early games would be watched a little bit more. It's so hectic for, for some casual fans to watch college basketball during the week, especially around November and December because of the holidays family trips. And then of course, you know, you're not paying full attention because you're still in football mode. So college basketball hurts itself a little bit from that standpoint. But what you can't argue is that college basketball doesn't have a more exciting regular season because college basketball, the thing about it that makes it great is you have all those showcases, the neutral court games, the tournaments, the games with the Blue Bloods, you get to see Kentucky-Duke every season or a Duke-Michigan State or a Kentucky-North Carolina or Ohio State-North Carolina. You get to see all of these matchups. You get to see the Blue Bloods play. The best of the best play each other every year, and it's great for college basketball. It doesn't have the importance of college football, but it has a better entertainment factor. That's what I want to see with college football. That's the only thing that's holding it back. Add a little bit more importance to more games. Don't go carried away. You can go the opposite direction. If you have too many teams making the playoff, then you do dilute the regular season. But going to an 18 playoff out of 130 is not diluting the regular season. And that's why I want to go to eight because the entertainment factor will make it such an unbelievable sport. And this is coming from a guy who is probably a bigger basketball fan growing up than football. But I'm saying football would be, look, it's, it's already more popular. Don't get me wrong. I'm not comparing it to basketball from that standpoint. Football is more popular. But if football is this popular on the college level with a sucky regular season, especially a September that means nothing, then imagine how much better it'll be with an 18 playoff where every conference race matters and then non-conference scheduling is awesome again. Folks, there is no reason, even if you do, if you really truly think that games are less important with an 18 playoff, isn't it worth the trade-off of the entertainment factor? Like, you watch bowl games because you want to see football and you want to see more importantly, and this is why most of you watch and you know it is, because you don't get to see these out-of-conference clashes very often. Imagine putting that in a college football playoff where you get to see more big-time games against big-time opponents playing each other when they so infrequently do. Just take a few of those bowl games, you implement them into the college football playoff, not necessarily literally, because I'd rather see the 18 playoff played on home, home field sites, home locations in the first round. But you do that, and you get to see matchups that you rarely get to see. You get to see them in the bowl games, but instead they mean more. 
I saw some people say, well, you know, it, you're going to wind up with a 16 team model that we were discussing with my bookie. Well, but the top four would wind up getting there anyway to the, to the final four. So what's the point? Well, first of all, probability says that's actually not true. Most years that would not happen. I, I did the calculations on this, by the way, I used the, my bookie matchups. Okay. The 16 team playoff. I did a probability calculation of, of the four number one seeds getting to the final four based on, I used FPI, forgive me, I have sinned. I used the FPI numbers to estimate a rough point spread for each matchup, okay? I just assumed that the high seed would win every game, and based on the probability of that, how likely it would be that the one seeds would all get to the final four. Using that method, the odds that Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, and Oklahoma this year would get to the Final Four in the same year, 7%. 7% chance that all four would actually get there. Folks, the probability says the Final Four or the top four seeds would not get there in the same year very often. That's actually a rare thing. It would happen. It just would not happen very often. And let's say that they did. So what? Even if that's what happens, at least they got there on their own merit by winning games, not being theoretically better. Don't you want to see them earn it? Don't you want to see them win the games and show it on the field that they were the better team, even if it's just for a day, rather than letting a 13-member panel theorize results in a boardroom, trying to cross-compare subjective and arbitrary numbers and schedules? I want to see it played out on the field. Yes, it's true. There are going to be some undeserving teams that get in there. I'd rather have a few undeserving teams get in there with a chance to win. And if they're blown off the field, so what? At least it was earned by the other team. I'd rather that happen than committee take a stab, a guess at who the best team is, because that doesn't make the regular season meaningful having a bunch of people that have never coached or played football arbitrarily decide who's better. That doesn't prove anything. That doesn't make it meaningful. So take that 20%, the 18% or whatever it is for the entire season, the games that actually have an impact on the playoff, increase it, take eight teams in the playoff. It might bump it up to about 40 or 45% of meaningful games. And that would be so much better for the sport. College football playoff. It's coming. The expansion is coming. Embrace it. I'm not saying go all in a 16 team. That's probably excessive. I just think it would make college football better. We'll see. Anyhow, that's going to wrap it up. Hey, we got three more weeks of this college football talk, playoff talk. I love it. Ohio State Clemson. I'm all in. We'll talk more about it next week for sure. More Ohio State basketball coming up on Friday edition as we preview the Buckeyes and Gophers this Sunday. Locked on Buckeyes, you're only daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast. Give us a listen. Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of your podcast platforms of choice. Catch me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Catch the show at Locked on Buckeye. We'll be back on Friday. Thanks for listening.